1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, then you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Before we get into the program, let me give a shout-out out to our sponsor, rentwithrighttobuy.com. This real estate service offers a new way to home ownership and allows you to purchase a home when you may not be entirely ready. It's a great option if your credit is not in the best of shape, or if you are in transition, such as divorce, downsizing, or relocating and unsure about the new area. Just as you've been able to rent to buy cars, appliances, and furniture, this is your opportunity to rent a home and then have a right to buy it later. Visit rentwithrighttobuy.com for more details. Thanks for the partnership. Great. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use in your life and your work. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. And let's open a dialogue and explore what's going on for you and how I might be able to help. Whether you want to look at developing purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catchfire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community, to nurture your own passion and purpose and bring it out into the world, you're interested in the Women on Purpose Thought Leadership Summit in Portland in September 8th to 10th, 2019, or you want me to speak for your company or your conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected and thanks for listening. Now, on to this week's program. With us today is Wei Li He is the Chief Commercial Officer of Omada Health, a digital health a digital care program that empowers people to achieve their health goals through sustainable lifestyle change. Whaley is the author of Annie the Tall Girl, a children's book on diversity and inclusion. He is also a brain tumor survivor, thriver, and is authoring a personal memoir, Gifts of Disruption, that chronicles his life-changing journey from diagnosis to recovery to transformation. He joins us today from California. Whaley, welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Well, thank you very much, Elise, for having me.
1: You're so welcome, and I'm so glad we've crossed paths, and we need to give a th- a nice shout-out and thank you to our mutual friend, Samantha John. You're she right. has been listening to my show for quite a while, and she alerted me to your Live Your 2.0 article you posted on LinkedIn, and when I read it, I went, absolutely, you're so right, Samantha's perfect. Um, so there's a lot to share and pull out of your story and so many learnings, but if we can, just to get our listeners really into your world and why I wanted you to be on the show let's talk about your story and what led you to write that article in the first place.
2: Yeah, so thanks, Elise, again for having me. And shout out to Samantha, our mutual colleague, who put us in touch with each other. I certainly am looking forward to this session. I, You know, the LinkedIn article that I published, uh, Live Your 2.0, uh, was really a culmination of a series of events that occurred over a really, really long time. Um, and certainly we can get in some detail, but the high level of it essentially was you know, I have been for the last uh, couple of decades up until just recently uh, as a, uh, a leader and executive within the biopharmaceutical industry. And and boy, what an absolute incredible journey that was. Is It's taken me to uh, multiple continents. I've worked in four different countries, led small businesses, um, you know, $3 million all the way up to large businesses, $30 billion or $3 billion or 3000000000 dollars And I've had just an incredible journey along the way with uh, me, my wife, and uh, my two daughters. Um, But like a lot of people, I've come to find out, Elise, is that, you know, when you do something for a really, really long time, uh, and as you learn things and experience new things, oftentimes your compass in life changes. And you start asking yourself, hey, I've been on this trajectory. I love it. I love the work. But at the end of the day, Is it something, or is this the thing that I'm actually meant to do? Is this the purpose I have? Is this what I was actually built for? Um, And I started asking myself that question uh, several years ago and kept on suppressing it, to be honest with you, Elise. And it just grew and grew and grew to, uh, to the point where I really just couldn't ignore it anymore. It became that weight and that kind of stone in the pit of my stomach that made me realize that um, it's really not a question, it's uh, a a statement disguised as a question that really, really made me start thinking about uh, making a significant change uh, in my life, uh, in my life direction uh, centered around my work uh, to what brings me here uh, today. Certainly there are tons of different things, a couple important things that were involved in that pivot um, but that's uh, that's kind of the background that helped me make the change or drove me to make the change and also drove me to author that LinkedIn article called uh, Live Your 2.0.
1: Okay, fantastic. Two things, if I can respond to that. Uh, First, I want a presence for our listeners that what you're describing, and and you call it in your article, that irresistible tug or an itch, and I know that extremely well for myself. It isn't always convenient to pay attention to that. So I applaud you for eventually paying attention to that. Thank you for that. And being an example for all of us. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is somewhere along that journey, you were diagnosed with a brain tumor. I think it was about two and a half years ago, and you said that this experience and how you chose to respond it respond to it really ushered in this whole new person, part of your version two What happened?
2: Yeah, you're you're exactly right, Elise. And you know, I've got a lot of friends and colleagues and people that I know well, some people I don't know well at all. That they come up to me and say, Wait, Lee, you know, the pivot that you made uh, kind of mid career, boy, that takes guts and courage and things like that. And in my overwhelming, all the time response is actually, um, I had a gift. um, And it was not born out of strength, but born out of rather, I just had to do something. and, And you referenced it. So about two and a half years ago, I was diagnosed uh, with a brain tumor about almost the size of my fist, it was huge. And one day at, uh, at a work function, I was about to go deliver a keynote speech and I was preparing, you know, working on my speaker notes and I had a, a, a seizure. And i had never had a seizure before, came out of absolutely nowhere and uh, then was taken to the emergency room and uh, was just hit straight into the, in the gut, proverbially speaking, when the doctor came in and said, hey, listen, I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is you're not having a stroke. The bad news is that you've got a mass in your brain the size of almost an orange. And that right there started, I think, the massive transformation, at least that I would say is a significant transformation for me. And luckily, you know, it's benign, I'm fine, I made a full recovery, but when you're faced with kind of something like that that happens, not surprisingly, you begin to question everything that you're doing in life, and things come into a really simple focus, you know, around family, your friends, your loved ones, but most importantly, that question that I've been actually asking myself, again, disguised as a statement is, you know, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing work-wise, and is this what I'm meant to do? really, really provided kind of the rocket fuel for me to realize that tomorrow is never a guarantee. And intellectually, I think we all know this, but I found out that, hey, listen, you know, um, it's more than intellectual. Um, There was a chance that I wouldn't come out of it okay. And so from that point in time, it provided me kind of with the match or the spark uh, to really just get off my butt and do something about um, kind of that passion or soulful belief and compass change uh, that uh, led me to where I am today. And to be honest with you, Elise, I I wish it wasn't um, kind of the catalyst for my change, because I think that it doesn't require something that seismic, Uh, but for me, that was an important part of it.
1: Well, and I appreciate that, that it was a very important catalyst. And and I think I told you when we spoke by phone that so often when I'm out speaking, Whaley, I ask my audience's first thing, have you really considered what will you do with your one precious life? And and I mean that in a serious inquiry. And now, especially for me, since both of my parents died in January of this year, and I got to be part of both of those, and I gave both of, of the eulogies and helped and planned the ceremonies of life, um, celebrations really it's very palpable for me we really only get one shot at this and so i appreciate very much what you're saying about it was a catalyst for you and you and i both spoke about how we would like it to be a little bit more accessible for other people than some of the catalysts that we both had to go through to to get to where we are but that was yours
2: no you're, you're absolutely right and um and i think you know you're right the difficulty is that sometimes um You know, we as individuals, we wait until there's a, we lose our jobs and then we got to do something drastic to recover. Uh, Or, you know, there's a a divorce and that that requires a significant change in our life where we need to become the true breadwinner in our families. And that forces people to um, shake their lives and actually do something new or different. And so there's a number of pivot points and things that happen in people's lives and a lot of time, when you talk to people, and I've spoken to them about, hey, you know, are you happy? They say, oh, my God, incredibly happy. And then you ask them what actually got them there. It's oftentimes a pivot point or a transformative fork in the road that almost forces their hand uh, to make the change in their life that actually they've been thinking about for days, years, weeks, months, uh, decades, even in and, and several years, certainly in my case. And it's a it's a bit of a shame. And I hope we get into this because, you know, life is an adventure and it's absolutely amazing to me how we make these decisions along our journeys. You know, and time and time again, I've been fascinated by, that, by this because we're actually as humans hardwired not to take risk, especially as we get older. You know, I oftentimes think about, okay, in the caveman days, so you didn't dare leave the safety of your cave. Otherwise you'd take a few steps out and get snatched up by a man-eating dinosaur. And then you're like, "Well, I'm certainly not going to do that again, but <laughs> when you've run out of food and your family might starve, you take the risk to leave the cage and for a cave and forage for food, because the risk of staying outweighed the risk of leaving. But you know, Elise, you and I both know that when you think about it, we don't need to succumb to this genetic forcing mechanism anymore, because for most of us, thankfully, we don't live in the caveman days. In fact, we live in a world of abundance. And, you know, to realize this isn't the case for everyone, but for a lot of us, when we think about it, we have options and the biggest challenge is taking the leap. And so for me, it was the, my brain tumor and kind of the transformation and healing I did after that. But what really, really started the process was, you know, I asked myself one serious question, what was likely the worst thing that could happen if I took that change or made that leap? And the answer was, well maybe I would just fail and go back to doing what I was doing. And by the way, I did love it at times, and it provided for my family really, really well. And so then I realized the risk really wasn't all that high. Um, And so, you know, we can take risks in today's world, at least most of us can. And when we can, the downside really isn't as big as we think, and the upside is just infinitely larger than we can even conceive
1: of. Completely agree and beautifully said. For our listeners to really understand what you've been through, if you can, we're going to take a break here in about three minutes. But would you help us understand what you had to navigate to get to come back from your brain tumor surgery or surgeries? I remember quite a bit that you went through. So will you tell us what you had to do to come back to come back to becoming a functioning person again?
2: Yeah, I'm more than happy to share. Um, it was, as I mentioned, kind of a soulful, life-changing transformation. You know, I think it helps for people to understand, you know, I, I, prior to my diagnosis of having a brain tumor, I was in great health. I ran, you know, I worked out all the time and just had a very energetic, youthful lifestyle. Um, And then uh, when I went into to get my brain surgery, I remember the day before I went into brain surgery, uh, my brain, my neurosurgeon, uh, brain surgeon uh, says two things to me. He says, the first one is I'm worried. I think after reviewing everything, your case is far more complex than I thought. and It's going to be hard. And then the second thing was actually a question. He said, would you mind being awake during your brain surgery? This is the day before uh, wow. I was supposed to go into brain surgery. And I asked him, well, why? And he said, well, you know, I want to make sure, you know, it's a sensitive surgery, a little bit more complicated. I want to make sure I don't damage, quote unquote, the valuable real estate around your brain tumor." I want you to be able to move when you get up. I want you to be able to speak when you get up because you're a young guy and you've got decades ahead of you and an incredible family. So I said, okay, I'll be awake. So it was just like a incredibly like incredibly Gray's Anatomy like, you know, situation. I remember every bit of detail in it. Oh my gosh. But when I came out, um, I essentially was more or less immobile or almost near paralyzed on the right side of my body. And it was, quote unquote, the the cost of getting out all of the brain tumor um, that thankfully my neurosurgeon made the decision to do because he knew I was healthy. And so it it really commenced and started a uh, multi-month kind of recovery process by essentially I undergone a, a moderate form of traumatic brain injury, maybe kind of a mild to moderate stroke. I had to learn how to walk again. I couldn't drink out of a cup. I couldn't use a knife and fork. Um, I had my parents had to treat me like a child. They had to bathe me. Uh, My wife bathed me. Um, I couldn't do much for many, many months, and it was a long road back. But through that entire journey, uh, because I'm a journey-focused person, I realized that, boy, if I can get through this, and boy, I have told a total new lease on life and a totally new perspective on what it means to be alive and what it means not to waste a second more on the things that are most important, one of which is where you spend 50% of your lifetime, which is at work. Um, how do I make it the most impactful and meaningful and be truest to kind of, you know, my God given talents to help, you know, kind of the world and that forever um, you know, changed uh, kind of my perspective on things. And like I talked about, served as kind of the catalyst catalyst for me to get off the proverbial couch uh, and uh, make the move.
1: Wow, we'll hear more about your journey here, but let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We are on the air with Wei Shao, the Chief Commercial Officer at Omada Health, a digital care program that empowers people to achieve their health goals through sustainable lifestyle change. He is also a brain tumor survivor and thriver, and is authoring a personal memoir, Gifts of Disruption, that chronicles his life-changing journey from diagnosis to recovery to transformation. He joins us today from San Francisco, California. We've been talking a bit about his own journey of what got him here. After the break, we're going to talk about what drives us to want to live 2.0. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working on Purpose. You're listening to Working on Purpose
3: with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 561-623-9429. Again, that's 561-623-9429. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Whaley Shao, the chief commercial officer at Omada Health, a digital care program that empowers people to achieve their health goals through sustainable lifestyle change. He's also a brain tumor survivor, thriver, and is authoring a personal memoir, Gifts of Disruption, that chronicles his life-changing journey from diagnosis to recovery to transformation. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, we were talking about the remarkable journey that you've been on that both you and I hope that people don't have to go through to really make a big change and start heading toward um, their 2.0. But through your experiences, you've developed this idea that you call Live Your 2.0. So for our listeners who've not yet read your LinkedIn article, what do you mean by Living our 2.0? Yeah, so Living
2: Your 2.0 is... um, Something I, I thought about um, uh, to try to describe what I think a lot of us want to do or actually uh, do with our, ourselves. So it goes something like this. So most of us live the same version of ourselves, and I call this version 1.0. Uh, we get promoted. We might relocate and join a new company in the same industry or even change roles in the same field. And I call these changes, these various stages and changes, version 1.1, version 1.2, version 1.3, so on and so forth. You get the idea. Uh, And, you know, it's important to note that there's really nothing wrong with that if you love what you do and it fills your soul. But what happens, and this happens so much, Elise, and it's happened to you, it's happened to me, it's happened to so many of our listeners out there. But what happens when you get to version, let's say, 1.5? And you've got that feeling of that stone in your gut that says, gosh, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? It rocks your world because you're scared of what it may mean in terms of the change you need to make, how it upsets your life or the people around you. And for me, I'd been asking myself that same question for quite some time until I realized it really wasn't a question. It was a statement disguised as a question. I should have been actually saying to myself, this isn't what you were meant to do. So the problem with questions is that we procrastinate on the answer and that delays action. So I tell people that if you've been asking yourself the question for quite some time, that should be your first clue that you might actually need to make a change. That change, that pivot is what I call living your 2.0. So in the article, Live Your 2.0 on my LinkedIn profile, I published uh, this a few months ago. It's really at its core about reinvention. It's about a major pivot in the direction of your life both professionally and personally, because I believe the two are so intricately tied together. And it talks about how I left my executive career in pharmaceuticals and, and where I led all those different businesses around the world, yet I was missing something and I felt compelled to reinvent and live my own 2.0. So that that's really what living one's um, 2.0 is about.
1: Beautiful. And, and then in the article, which again is just a really fast, easy read with a lot of nuggets in it though, you also really give your readers access to something and in the three points that you make and I want us to to bring those uh, alive for our listeners so that they can start to try them on for themselves and if you'll share if you will about three each of how how those impacted your life and your 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 journey and I'll do the same for 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 myself Um, the the first one that you talk about is inspiration say more about that
2: no, you're, you're absolutely right. And so, and, and by the way, at least, I can't wait to hear your, your own story too as well <laughs> because I love hearing about people's 2.0 or 3.0, and, and sometimes I run into people that are on their 5.0, and I have such enormous respect for them because I'm only on my 2.0, and so I look forward to hearing about that. But I, I write about in Living Your 2.0, there are kind of three telltale signs that if these three things are happening to you, then I think you might just be on the verge uh of making a change that I think can change the arc of your life. The first one is about inspiration. And so inspiration is about that thing that you know you've got energy for. So in my in my job, I loved what I was doing, leading these billion-dollar businesses and helping people uh with uh with you know kind of devastating illnesses. Um but I sp- found my time looking uh, into digital health. I thought there was something special about that in, in terms of what digital technology could do uh, for people living with uh, with chronic diseases or debilitating diseases. And I found myself on the weekends, surfing the internet, looking up things. I found myself talking to people at length. I found myself in my spare time reading books about it. I found myself in my spare time actually doing my own writing about it. Um, And that was my first indication that, you know what, there's something going on here that I'm willing to spend the spare energy that I have, where most of it's been spent on my family and my work, but generating that energy in an area where, you know what, for a lot of other things, I wouldn't even bother. And along that path, I became inspired. The more stories I heard about what technology could do for people and how it could actually transform their lives and their health... I then became inspired to say, you know what? I believe this actually may be the next horizon in healthcare. So inspiration was the first one, but it's oftentimes not enough because sometimes inspiration just turns into a hobby. The next one I talk a lot about, the second ingredient um, that I think leads to living your 2.0 is desperation. It's the opposite of inspiration. For For me, my desperation actually was related to my brain surgery um, and kind of what happened after that, um, I realized that tomorrow would may, uh, is not a guarantee, not only for everyone else, but certainly for myself. And I realized that if I didn't actually make a change and just go for it and try it, that I would have a profound sense of regret. That turned into a form of desperation of as I can't live a life of profound regret, And that really started to get to this negative feeling that I had that just created the polar opposite energy of inspiration that said the longer I don't follow my inspiration, the worse I'm going to feel about how I'm living my life, especially now that I've been given a second chance. The third one actually is related to both, but I call it vocation. Invocation is one of those magical things where you understand the incredible talents you have. Some people call them your God-given talents, what you're great at, that makes you you. Combined with what you believe in, the truth and purpose that you have that guides you, and for me, That was taking all of that I've learned uh, while I was in healthcare and biopharmaceuticals, leading those businesses, combined with this purpose of being in healthcare, helping people with debilitating diseases, but carving out a new path, one in technology, uh, that allows people to access care, not just in their doctor's offices, uh, but in between the the visits they have uh, to see their doctor. And I landed on finding that uh, eventually uh, through the company I'm with now called Omada Health uh, that specializes really in human-centered technology uh, to help people with debilitating chronic diseases like diabetes, depression, uh, or even the prevention of diabetes and high blood pressure uh, to make profound changes in the way that they lead their life uh, uh, in between uh, doctor's visits. And um, that happened to fit straight right in the middle uh, of that vocation circle between what I think I'm good at and uh, what I believe my life purpose is.
1: Oh my gosh, Whaley, a couple of things. First, for you listeners who are, who are listening to him share this, um, as eloquent as he is, the, the process is, isn't usually that that tidy. I really commend how beautifully you can narrate that, Whaley. It's just stunning. Um, very alluring way to be able to to bring us into your world um, and secondly you know that you that you made that journey I, in, in, ch- in telling your story the reason I wanted you to tell your story is because in doing so it's in the hopes that the, the listeners out there get something for themselves and they can start to move themselves further down their journey in listening to the way you narrate yours and maybe in the way I, I narrate mine and that's why I really wanted to make sure we we each did this so my turn. You ready? Yeah,
2: your turn. I can't wait to hear. This is actually why I came on the show. I wanted to hear <laughs> oh my
1: your story. Goodness, wow, <laughs> you poor misguided soul. But okay, good. Um- Okay, so for me, the, the inspiration, it started really, uh, when, I stood, when I started my PhD um, and did my research around around meaning, I wanted to understand how people were exper- experiencing meaning in their work, because to your point, we spend, as you say, about 50% of our lives at it. So what does that mean to you? And what does it mean to your sense of self? So that was my, my PhD research, which I finished, and I thought, okay, that's good, I'm done. But to your point, it kept nagging at me, and then later over time, I, I, just on my own as a separate side project, uh, went out and interviewed in about two years. I guess a year and a half, 115 men and women between the ages of 18 and 80 to learn across 20 different different professions to learn about this topic. I was just so curious about it, it just wouldn't let me go. And that research yielded 15 modes of engagement, ways that people uniquely experienced meaning and in relation to what it meant to their sense of self, anywhere from, you know, living their purpose down to existential crisis. Mm. And and there was actually one that was transcendent connection, which is even above purpose. But so that really got me into the space of wow, you know, people experience work really differently. And there's this thing that people are living their purpose. Wow, that's so cool. And, and I became very enamored with that whole idea. And I kept on my way. But to your point, I, the niggle wasn't quite enough to kind of get me out of my complacency. I had this body of research, and then I started hosting the show, working on purpose four and a half years ago. And it, but it, that didn't really that was a my that was my inspiration. But the desperation didn't happen until two other inputs. The first major input was my divorce in 2016, and to your point, that catapulted me in a place where, one, you know, I was solely responsible for myself, and two, I had an open playing field. I could reinvent myself any way I wanted, and I knew before that time, Whaley, that I was not living to the, the level that I wanted, and I hated myself for it, and I knew it. I was copping out. Um, so the second piece of, of that desperation piece for me was I did take a role in a, a company for a couple of years, and I believe I was supposed to come there, but I was also supposed to leave because I got really present to, I don't want at the end of my life to be able to say I was a consultant for XYZ company. I need to share my message, what I think is important, what my truth is, what my purpose is, and it just became so overwhelming and, and unavoidable. I I just I couldn't I couldn't face it anymore. And I literally left that position jumped off the cliff to come back out and do the kind of work I'm doing today on the complete conviction. This is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And so the vocation is really a couple things. I I call myself the anti-undertaker because (laughs) my, (laughs) my job is to help awaken the otherwise walking dead who are not living with passion, working on purpose and being inspired by what they're up to. I was one of them. I know what they look like um and and two the other thing is is that in so doing I really act as a catalyst to help other people and I enable them to find their passion inspiration and purpose and make the leap to to make the lives that they really want for themselves so that's how 2.0 showed up for me
2: that is I love that story at least because you know I, I think that there's a few things that I'm learning from your story the first one is that um you know, sometimes uh, it's a confluence of events that nudges us, pushes us, or forces us in a particular direction. And if if they didn't occur, then we wouldn't move. And it's so important that if we keep on living the life that we've always lived, that means there's no change. And when there's no change, then you don't get those nudges. You don't get those forceful events that push you to become who you're really meant to be. The, the other thing is, is that, you know, um, I bet that you could take somebody else and put them in your life and they would not end up nearly where you are because you decided to look at the signs and, and, uh, and catalysts or symbols in your life uh, and think deeply about them and make a change uh, where somebody else could experience the same things and gloss right over them and um i think that um you know that's the difference is is do we look at the signs and symbols in our life uh and find meaning in them and um that and and do we translate that meaning into meaningful action that just changes up how we live because if we don't do that we don't experience new things we don't experience new things we don't grow and we don't grow then we never become all that we can be so i mean i i love that story and and I, I bet you you're thinking, you know, there's probably a 3.0 or four zero for you out there, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm working on it and I'm loving it. I, I'm so charged by it. And the thing about working from purpose, as you know, is it gives you crazy energy, crazy courage, and you just do things you wouldn't otherwise imagine. Some of those things I want to hear about because I want to hear about your journey next of kind of how you got to your, your 2.0 and here at Amada. But before we do that, let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Whaley Shao, the Chief Commercial Officer of Omada Health, a digital care program that empowers people to achieve their health goals through sustainable lifestyle change. He's also a brain tumor survivor thriver and is authoring a personal memoir, Gifts of Disruption, that chronicles his life-changing journey from diagnosis to recovery to transformation. He joins us today from San Francisco, California. After the break, we're going to hear about how he really made his way to Omada Health. It's fascinating. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Whaley Shao, the chief commercial officer of Omada Health, a digital care program that empowers people to achieve their health care goals through sustainable lifestyle change. He's also a brain tumor survivor and thriver and is authoring a personal memoir, Gifts of Disruption, that chronicles his life-changing journey from diagnosis to recovery to transformation. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment, Whaley, I think it's really important that we talk about the plan. You and I talked about this on the phone, that these kinds of major transformations don't just sort of happen and show up one day, but rather we have to work at them. And you have quite a, quite a, a process that you went through to get to where you are today. And I think it would be great to presence that for our listeners. So they really understand just how they can do it for themselves. So. Yes. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's probably worth noting that everybody's journey probably is a little bit different. So I can certainly share what I went through. I think there are probably some some things I hope can help some others that are listening that potentially are thinking about taking the the, the leap or the plunge or how to, if they're thinking about living their, their next version or their 2.0 or 3.0. Um, uh, so yeah, so I'm more than happy to talk about. So, you know, for me... Um, the first thing that really made a, uh, a, a difference, and I referenced it earlier, and I can't say how important this is, is that if you're asking yourself the question like, okay, hey, Whaley, you know, is this what you're meant to do? Is this what you should be doing 10 years from now? Or, you know, uh, at least if you're saying to yourself, gosh, is there something else out there that I'm meant to do? Um, stop asking the question. Because if you're asking the question, that's your subconscious way, your subconscious's way of actually telling you that you need to be thinking deeply about something. And so change the question into a statement. And that's what I did. I changed that. And it took me years to figure this out. So I'm a slow learner. And so I I basically said, okay, um, instead of saying, hey, do I need to make a change? I actually then wrote down, uh, I'm going to make a change. I didn't know what the change would be. I had no expectations of what it was, but I told myself I'm going to make a change. Um, And so then, you know, the next thing I started doing is, "Okay, well, I know I'm spending my energy in my spare time and it's towards this thing called digital technology or digital health. And I have a huge passion for it for some reason. And so then I started actually really just um, taking small steps and taking small actions that were, I would say, no regret or no commitment. Uh, And so I started reading and doing research, talking to friends, subscribing to blogs, following thought leaders in the space. And this took, you know, quite a bit of time, um, you know, over time. But it was an important part for me to take those risk-free steps to determine, is this just a passing interest or is this a hobby uh, or is this potentially the change that's going to catapult me to live my 2.0? After I got to that point, I found myself at work trying to figure out ways to incorporate digital technology into my current job. Now, not everybody's got the luxury to take their passion and put it into their job. But boy, if you have an opportunity, if you are working in a job and you have a passion for, uh, you know, uh, the uh, philanthropy or the charity or let's say the United Way, then how do you take that passion and put elements of it into your job? So maybe you are uh, kind of a frontline manufacturing person, but you have passion for charity. Is there a way that you can actually bring that charity into work and engage your employees and find that connection between what your organization does and what in this case your passion on your charity does too as well. Make that investment because again, it gets you to action, it gets you beyond just looking into things and that's what I did. When I was at uh, my previous company, the biopharmaceutical uh, kind of industry, I started actually launching digital uh, care programs and concepting those and integrating into my business. And I found that, you know, I was spending kind of more creative energy in that space than I was in my core business, which was just more evidence that I needed to really make a change. You know, the next thing that I did uh, was make, you know, small investments. I started making trips on an annual basis. I would go out to Silicon Valley. I would go out to the Bay Area and meet with venture capitalists and begin to expand my network. I would go to conventions. I would go to industry meetings on digital health. I would basically build my network. And through that, uh, people started to expose things to me. They said, oh, you know, Wei you should meet with this person and that person. And next thing you know, over a period of months, I had met with, and I counted it, uh, literally over 85 people that I didn't know three months before that I had just met within that three months. And that's when you know that when you're meeting those people and you're connecting with them, that there's something there along the way. The last two are, are important. They are, are really like starting a side hustle. My side hustle was at work. I was doing this digital technology work in my previous company. And then finally was taking a leap. Um, I started preparing myself and said, you know what, Wei you know, you got a second lease on life after recovering and transforming yourself from your brain surgery and your brain tumor, that there's no better time like the presence, present. So if you don't do it, you know you're going to regret it. So climb up that proverbial high dive and jump off the diving board. And that's exactly what I did. And I tell you, um, you know, I've just started uh, my new position with Omada and Digital Health. And uh, I can tell you, it's, it's pure euphoria.
1: Mm, I got that. And I'll share just briefly um, um, from my vantage point too, it could relate to so much of what you were saying. I too found myself getting more focused on my side hustle and more of what was bubbling up for me, which is really what led me to say, you know what, it's time for me to move on from this and really jump off this cliff like you're talking about. And to your point, like you say in your article, Whaley is, you know, whole fields would open up as I kept those steps going and people I wouldn't have any other reason to meet sort of coming into my path and the conversations and some of the guests that I've had on my show that I've had some amazing collaboration with and who've taught me so much have, I would have never met them before had I not jumped off that cliff and just kept walking.
2: You're exa- you're absolutely right. So it's kind of like if you continue to do the same things over and over, you should expect the same thing over and over. It sounds so simple. But if you're asking yourself the question, just like I was over a long period of time, and, and I spent way too much time, you know, procrastinating over the question. But once I started taking action, doors started opening because I did something different. I took action. The difference between people who dream and the people who make their dreams come true is action. Even if it's a small one, that action then ripples through the universe and something comes back. And then you can take the next step or the next action, and next thing you know, and next thing you know, you're well on your way to living your 2.0.
1: And there's really another really important function of that, of that action you're talking about, Whaley, that I know about, again, because some of the guests I've had on my show is that it has a motivational reinforcing element to it. The action reinforces I'm moving, and there's momentum that you attach yourself to, and it, and it gives you this sense, I am moving, and it reinforces and gives you a more motivation to take the ne- next step tomorrow. It's, a, it's just got a real functional element to it that really powers you in addition to just putting more ripples out there, it powers you.
2: You're, you're absolutely right. I, you know, a quick, small story. So uh, several years ago, this is probably about four years ago or so, I made one of my trips out to the, the the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, and I I had a friend that I'd met years before that in China who had also relocated to the Bay Area. And he said, hey, Wei Li, I know you've been thinking about this because we've talked about it. We've had drinks over it. Uh, you should meet my friend uh, who is in this venture capital group. And I said, OK, great. This was years ago, at least. I met him. And then two years later, I re-intouched with him. I said, hey, I think I'm really getting serious about this. He said, oh, go talk to my friend in New York, all the way across the other side of the country. I spoke to my his friend in New York. And he said, oh, you know, you need to talk to, you know, my <laughs> wife. So I spoke to his wife. And his wife said, oh, you know what? I know somebody who sits on this board. You should go talk to this person, this person. And I tell you, it was this classic seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. And it ended up, sourcing an opportunity that while I didn't, uh, didn't pursue or didn't actually come available, I got down to the last point of the opportunity itself, but it never would have happened if I had not just asked my friend and had my friend not put me in touch with that first person. And so you're right. There's this reinforcing and engaging energy that things materialize so long as you do something. If you do nothing, nothing happens.
1: You can expect nothing in return, exactly. I couldn't help but envision like either, uh, you know, a tennis ball or a golf ball being you know, bantied about as you were as you were being tossed from next conversation, to the next conversation, it's great. Um, you get by from a little help from your friends. And just by speaking this stuff, declaring this stuff brings it into an existence. And I can tell you, for me, I have been amazed, Whaley, that I'm out doing my work, and stuff happens. and I'm like, I'm supposed to be doing this. And I go this next direction. It's like the wind is carrying me. And I, I wouldn't have envisioned what I'm doing if ever before all the different products that I've created the book that I'm writing the different offerings that I've created for women's storytelling it's just I just really would have never envisioned any of that stuff but I just kept listening in to what I was being told and accepted it and was if you will somewhat obedient to that voice
2: yeah and at least do you think that's because you're following like the truest form of your purpose that yes I do. do that people pick up on that and they want to help you and they open doors
1: for you Yes, I do. And I also think it's really also just really paying attention to, you know, that that internal divining rod or that, that it's the purpose, the voice of purpose. When you listen to that, it does guide you. It does govern you.
2: Yeah. And I find also that, you know, we all have people that we look up to and then inspire us, uh, whether they be, you know, the icons of the world and history, MLK, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, or even people that other people don't know that inspire us. But like when you listen to them if you listen to what drives them and why they do what they do, A, you can't help but be enamored with the clarity and focus of what it is that they do. But if they were to ask for your help, you would jump to go help them. Whereas anybody else, um, maybe you wouldn't. And, and so I really think that, um, that when you put yourself out there, and people can sniff out whether you're for real. And if you are, because it's so rare, people open doors for you.
1: Yes, it's irresistible is what it comes down to. That's the way I like to describe it. And to that end, I would love for you, we're getting so close to running out of time here, so if you could be already? maybe a, about, yeah, already, <laughs> about a minute on this. For our listeners, distinguish for us life before and after 2.0 for you.
2: Life before, I would say, was by everybody's definition, perfect. People would look at my life and say, Way Lee, you and your family, you've got everything. Life after my 2.0 is I look at my own life and I say, I've got everything.
1: Mm. Mm. That is stunningly simple and beautiful. Yeah, we know when it's all not there, don't we?
2: Yes, we do. That's what's on Instagram.
1: (laughs) That's so great. I didn't even know that. That's so great. Um, Well, closing the show here, um, we'll, we'll, we'll tell our listeners how to find you, but what do you want to leave our listeners with today? We've got listeners all over the globe and they come for various reasons. What would you like to leave them with?
2: So I guess I would leave them with um, three things. Um, The first one is you become the story you tell yourself. So if, if you believe you're this, that's what you'll become. If you believe that you're destined to do great things, you will accomplish great things. So you become the story you tell yourself. The second one is if you open yourself up to the universe, just like we were talking about, Elise, by following the truest form of your purpose, the universe tends to return in kind and reward you. Uh, the universe has this keen ability to sniff out uh, things that are not pure and not true. So you open up your yourself to the universe, the universe returns in kind. And the last one is maybe just a bit practical about those of you out there who are wondering about how to live your 2.0 Um is to take a small action tomorrow, or better yet, take a small action today that you think can contribute to that, and make it a no-regret one, and see where it takes you. And if it takes you to a good place, take the next small action. And next thing you know, that momentum will be so strong, it will build confidence in you to make the change that you want to make.
1: What a beautiful way to finish the show, really give our listeners some pearls to take them on their journey next. I thank you so much, Whaley, for coming into my path, sharing your beautiful heart and soul and journey and story with us. it is has been inspiring and very meaningful and connecting for me, and I imagine our listeners as well. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Elise. It's been um, uh, you've made my day. Uh, love listening to your story, and um, I certainly hope to hear the stories of people out there and um, and uh, best wishes.
1: Thank you so much. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Whaley's show and the work he and his team are doing at Omada Health, visit omadahealth.com. Let me spell that for you. It's O-M-A-D-A health.com. Now, Whaley, if you if anybody wants to reach out to you directly, or is there another way they can find you?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, and that's where you can also find uh, my Live Your 2.0 article, as well as a few others on diversity and inclusion. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Last name is Shao, S-H-A-O, first name Wei Li, W-E-I-L-I. And uh, feel free to reach out and let's connect.
1: Uh, That is an invitation, listeners. Take him up on that. Okay, finally, last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a be recorded podcast. We were on the air with Paul Skinner, the author of Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. He helped us understand the specific steps in collaborating and how employing his system can help us realize more of our purpose in the work we do, especially when we have really big dreams we're chasing. He actually moved me to, to tears at the end of our conversation. It was so beautiful, really, just I had to, I had to recover myself. <laughs> Next week, we'll be talking with Dr alex batakos he is affectionately nicknamed dr meaning he's a modern day greek philosopher and a founder and the founder of the global meaning institute and we'll be talking about his books and his life's work including the development of a new discipline called meaningology and advancing the human quest for meaning in life work and society tune in we'll see you there remember that work is at least a third of our lives and if you believe wayley 50 percent. so see you there
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Alice Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.